Blog Talk Radio. And all the world is football. All right, welcome to the show. It's Stephen Branch. Sorry about sorry about thir- about Tuesday, but you're listening to the Yellow Carded Podcast brought to you by Global Scarves. Um, they're having a new special this weekend, as Keith has seen it. Um, what was it? It was 50% off if someone refers them? Yeah, I think that's what it was. I don't have it. Uh, I don't have the copy in front of me. I wish I did. <laughs> yeah, and I really, can't, I really can't look at my internet because once again, Verizon is Verizon is being the Seattle Sounders and being annoying. Excuse me, I've been fighting guess, the internet for guess, three months. I guess we won't give Verizon as a sponsor then. Oh no! Despite if I if I what I just said to them in an email, I don't think I'll be. Ever able to work with him? Also online okay. is well, Chris speak. Block. He was going to be my co. He was going to be my co-host on Thursday, on Tuesday. So, but we moved it to today because there's a lot of stuff going on, and Chris Chris has a lot of the statistical background that will just go in one year and out the other with me. So, I, <laughs> well, hopefully, hopefully he'll bring us. Hopefully he'll bring a sense of geniusness to the podcast today. Well, well, since you mentioned Seattle, I guess we ought to start there since Hope Solo is such a big topic of conversation uh, these last couple of weeks. Uh, of course, she is she is right now facing a, a looking at a November court date for charges of domestic violence in a case in which she is alleged to have assaulted uh, a nephew, I believe, uh, of hers. And there's a lot of dynamics in play on this. And the first thing I definitely want to point out is a lot of kudos needs to go to women in sports media, such as Christine Brennan in particular, the esteemed columnist for USA Today and the Washington Post, who in recent weeks, in light of what's been going on in the National Football League, have suddenly brought this case back into the forefront and said, hey, why this double standard? Why is she getting a free pass when these NFL players aren't? And I'll tell you something, for a woman to point this up and bring, and bring that up, that takes some guts. That's a gutsy thing for Christine Brennan to do because, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to poke the 600-pound gorilla in the room here on this one, uh, for better or for worse. But there is a line of thought in, in the feminist world that says domestic violence by women does not happen, okay? And if you think I'm nuts, if you think I'm talking out of my hat or something like this, I want you to go and look up federal laws and look up the Violence Against Men Act, designed to protect men against domestic violence. Survey says, ah, doesn't exist. There's no such thing. But there is a Federal Violence Against Women Act, which I believe was just renewed either in 2012 or 2013. That tells me that in, in feminist orthodoxy, this doesn't happen. And it does. And now, again, this was not a case of Hope Soul being charged with assaulting her husband. It was it was a family member, but but again, this is for for women in media to point up this double standard. That takes a lot of courage in that. But what's happened is because of what's happened in the NFL, this case has suddenly come back into the forefront. Whereas it was pretty much when it happened, a one maybe two day story in the news cycle. And let's face it, a lot of that can be attributed to the fact that women's soccer just isn't quite as popular as the NFL for whatever reason. 
Yeah, my sarcasm. Uh, <laughs> there, there's a couple of huge million billion dollar reasons there, Keith. But <laughs> yeah, well, we'll, we'll we, I don't think we have time for that. But here, but to com- not, but to compare Hope Solo with some of these other NFL cases, especially Ray Rice, is very unfair. For on a few fronts. Number one, there's no video of what happened in Hope Solo's case. Unlike in Ray Rice, we have two video, two different sets of video clips in his case. Number one. Number two. Uh, if you recall, this past Monday, ESPN's Outside the Lines ran a report uh, about the Ray Rice case and what was going on, not only with the NFL, but with the Baltimore Ravens. And one of the things they they say happened is that Ray Rice's attorney, at the urging of the people in the NFL office and the Baltimore Ravens office, was the one who initiated the move to get that uh, pre-trial um, intervention status attached to his case and the reasons, according to ESPN's outside the line points, were to get it through as quickly as possible, keep it quiet, and most importantly, in their case, make try to do everything to ensure that the video in from inside the elevator where he actually hit his then fiance did not leak out. Well, none of that came to fruition. Obviously, it all it all came out anyway. But to the and what, because one of the criticisms of Christine Brennan mentioned in one of her columns was. How convenient is it that Hope Solo's case doesn't take place until November after the NWSL season and after the CONCACAF World Cup qualifying? Well, to the best of my knowledge, nobody from either Seattle Reign, the NWSL, or U.S. Soccer made any attempt in court in Kirkland, Washington, to get her trial pushed back until after the qualifier. Now, if her own lawyer did that, that's on him or her. I'm not sure who it is he represents her. But... Don't go pitting any blame on U.S. soccer and criticizing them for the trial date. They had nothing, as far as I know, they had nothing to do with this. And, but the most important thing to remember, and this is something that gets lost a lot in any case involving a professional athlete and criminal charges, it's called the Constitution. And there's a provision in there that's really one of the bedrocks of our American justice system. It's called innocent until proven guilty. Okay. Now, Ray Rice, yeah, we've got that video in his case. Greg Hardy of the Carolina Panthers, yes, he has been convicted. Now, he's appealing the conviction to get it to a jury trial, whether the judge trial, which he had originally, but he's been convicted. Anybody wants to suspend, those teams want to suspend them, throw them out, whatever, fine. They're all free and well and good to do that. They've had their day in court. But in the case of Hope Solo or Adrian Peterson or Ray McDonald, there are no trials yet. They have not been convicted of anything. You know, in Hope Solo's case, especially... You know, if if they th- if they think either Seattle Rain or U.S. Soccer says she can play, she can play. As far and as far as I'm concerned, I don't have a problem with that because again, she has not been convicted, and that's something that's something that has to be remembered because again, there is this tendency with professional public with professional athletes to somehow think that you know laws governing whether it be criminal justice or business or whatever just don't apply to them. Because they're professional athletes. Look at free agency, for example. Now, I'm not trying to compare free agency with a a criminal accusation by any stretch. But since the advent of free agency in the 1970s in professional sports, a lot of people, even those who love professional sports, have said some things to the effect of, hey, they get paid all this money. Why should they be allowed to go shop around and pick a team to play for? Well, guess what? All the rest of us do. If I'm under contract to Fox Sports and my contract runs out and I decide to go to NBC Sports Network, his kids love to have this happen, by the way. I'm free to do that. Nobody say a word. But a professional athlete changing teams, somehow that's, that's, a, that's a, a crime against humanity in some people's eyes. 
you know, we have there, there's this concept, and it extends to this. You have not only, and it's not just professional athletes. Too. Look at colleges. There are a lot of NCAA schools in this country who have that have policies in place that say if a scholarship athlete is charged, not convicted, but charged with a crime, that person has to be suspended from the team. Some of it doesn't apply to the rest of the student body at large, by the way. You know, there's this, there's this idea, and it, it falls into the heading of they're held to a higher standard. Well, you can have a lot of debate about this on a lot of fronts, number one. Go ask Charles Barkley if you want evidence for that. But I just don't like this idea that because Hope Soul is a professional athlete, she should be tossed off the national team and tossed out of the NWSL simply because she's been charged with a crime. If she's convicted, okay, then they can go ahead and do those things, out, and it's fine. They, they, they probably, it might be deserved. It might not be. I'm not sure. But until she's convicted of anything, she's an innocent person in the eyes of the law. Now, the problem I do have in Hope Soul's case, and this is something Christine Brennan pointed out as well, is with this hanging over her right now, you're playing her is one thing, but to make her the captain and to have a ceremony honoring her for breaking the all-time shutout record for U.S. soccer, that's a problem. That is something U.S. soccer definitely should not have done. If they want to play, if they want to say she can play until she goes to trial, fine. I have no issue with that at all. But to have, but to do what they did in terms of honoring her with a ceremony, making her a captain, that was something they definitely, should, I think, U.S. soccer should not have done. Yeah, you know, Keith, a lot of good points there. I just kind of throw in, I think at the end of the day, you, we're probably going to see calmer heads prevail. Um, you and know, there, another, there's, there's a, a distinct, yeah, I, I mean, from, yeah. from what I've read, and, you know, nothing's the gospel when you read it in the newspaper, but, you know, there there's there's significant difference between the issues that the NFL has versus, uh, versus what was going on with the solo, but, um, and you know, you, a very good you got a, that too. Yeah, I mean, you, you got a good point about the uh, the captaincy, and yeah. you know, the the whole person concept. You know, <clears throat> especially as a youth coach, um, really should should come into play there, and and sometimes people lose sight of that. Um, and and I wouldn't be surprised, given additional media pressure. With U.S. soccer, that that captaincy might be uh, might be moved to to somebody yeah, and, else. And I, have, uh, I would have and I would have no problem with them doing that. That's because that's not the same as playing. That is putting this person in a different category than the rest of the players. Because uh, and again, I go back to the innocent until proven guilty point. Just because the person's been charged, that doesn't necessarily mean conviction. Okay? Because remember, we all quote knew unquote Casey Anthony was guilty of murdering her kid. We all, quote, knew, unquote, the Duke lacrosse players were guilty of rape and sexual assault. And we all, quote, knew, unquote, that O.J. Simpson was guilty of murder. Those cases didn't quite turn out the way everybody, quote, knew, unquote, they would. So let's, you know, let's, as you said, let's let the cooler heads prevail and let's let the rule of law prevail. That's the most important thing. I just don't like this idea of athletes being treated differently because just because they're professional athletes. Now, Hope Soul is an American citizen. Her rights as an American citizen don't change just because she signed that contract with U.S. soccer in the NWSL, okay? Same with any other professional athlete. There's a mindset that may, that people think that it does, and it, and it shouldn't. And, again, it, 
yeah, Charles Barkley made the point a long time ago in his Nike commercial about well, athletes, whether or not they're role models. And you could have a long argument about that with people who are a lot smarter on that subject than I am, I can assure you. you know, so certainly, you know, there, I remember reading this line. I, I can't remember who said it. I want to say it was Rick Riley in Sports Illustrator back in those days, but I'm not sure. You know, we want Because they're public figures, we want them to be good at life. And that just isn't the case. That isn't always the case. Because, again, they're human beings, too. And Zach, uh, Zach Watson, who writes uh, who, who writes on uh, uh, Sports Nation, I believe it is, or on Yahoo Sports, excuse me, he writes on Yahoo Sports. Yeah, he pointed out something, uh, barring something very, very unforeseen, in 2014, there will, 2014 will be the, the lowest number of NFL players arrested in a calendar year for quite some time. You know, they're, you're just because... You know, just because we see all these stories about the, uh, Ray McDonald or uh, Ray Rice or, or uh, the, uh, you know, anybody else getting arrested, it's only because part of the reason we hear we hear so much about that is because these people are public figures. You know, if, if you know, average citizens, unless something really hor- horrifically tragic happens, it's not going to be all over the news media and talked about 24/7 on social media and TV shows and everything else. You know, this happens in the general populace too. Now, again, I realize that. There is a mentality with athletes uh, through their attorneys, and, and certainly this happened in Ray Rice's case where the perception was he got preferential treatment because I had a story uh, on ESPN's Outside the Line said something like less than 1% of people charged with the crime Ray Rice was charged with go into this pre-trial intervention program that the court has set up uh, in New Jersey. So you know, certainly... I, I understand, yeah, athletes do feel this sense of entitlement sometimes and they try to exercise that in these kind of situations. I'm not saying that doesn't happen, but the simple fact is they're still American citizens. They still have the same rights as American citizens if they're charged with a crime, just like the rest of us do if we were charged. It's just that most of us, if we get arrested for something like this, again, barring some very extenuating circumstances, it's not going to be all over the media. Yeah, we see a lot about athletes getting into trouble using drugs, whatever. But you want to go go do some studies and compare percentages of athletes compared to the general population. You'd probably be surprised by the numbers. I know Zach, I know Zach Watson has won some of those numbers. If you want to go read them on Yahoo Sports, part there's probably some folks you put up there about that. So and, do you want to breathe in and, and, and also, breathe out a little bit? Yeah, right. I try to. Uh, do you hey, want to take a little bit of a breath? Yeah, yeah. I'm a yeah, trained broadcaster and trained singer. I've learned how to do the breathing stuff properly. <laughs> you, you, you've been on a soapbox for about ten minutes here, Keith. So yeah, I have. So I'll, I'll climb <laughs> off and let you guys have at it for a while. Why, why, I, I am why so, don't we I move on so to so something else? Or unless I, I, Stephen, I have so you got something? Christmas, I am so for Christmas game, buying him an antique soapbox. It's not at this at this point. <laughs> And, and, and Keith, I've actually done that before. I will take a picture when I'm at my um, father's house. We have an antique, we have an antique soapbox that we gave my father for his 50th birthday, because <laughs> he calls himself slightly right of Attila the Hun. So yeah, we'll, well, we'll go. With I'm not that far. I'm not that far right. I'm right of center, but not that far right. I can assure you. But yeah, that. Yeah, I get up on the soapbox occasionally. I, I realize that, and I apologize for getting uh, too long-winded there. But anyway, <laughs> one of the things I did want to bring up is, is because the world is losing its collective crap right now about Derek Jeter retiring, and we have 
potentially in theory on leaving. I mean, we don't we have no idea, but we're for sure it is. And Landon Donovan's going. Are there any athletes out there in soccer that you would have loved to know when they were retiring to give them that ceremony? Say, thank you for what you were doing. And I mean only in I, soccer. Is there someone in soccer you would have said, thank you for what yeah. you did to for us? Uh, for me, that's easy. Brad Friedel. There definitely needs to be a Brad Friedel testimonial when he's finally done playing. I know I'm biased because he's from my neighborhood, but let's face it. If you you could you could argue he's the best American goalkeeper of all time. There's others in the conversation certainly. Tim Howard is in there. Uh, you know Casey Keller could be put up there as well. But Brad Friedel certainly deserves a testimonial match as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, you know, Stephen, it's a great question, and you know, I lived in Europe for ten years, so you know, I got to I got to have a huge gap of MLS. Um, so, you know, I I mean the the first player that that came to mind for me, and I know he got a send off, was Alan Shearer in England. Yeah. I thought he was one of the greatest strikers that country's ever had. Um, oh, absolutely. You know, and and you know, I, I try real hard, and and you know, Brad Friedel comes to mind, um, and and you know, Landon Donovan really comes to mind for me, and as as an American who oh, has yeah. done well in Europe and has done well here, but granted, here the the style of play is different, so yeah. so he's probably going to excel just a wee bit better because. First touch and, and passing isn't quite as good across the well, breadth point, of MLS. My point, with so. Landon, my point with Landon Donovan is it's not so much about whether or not he's the greatest American player of all time because while he you know you can you he's again he's in that discussion but there are others but I to me with Landon Donovan with state to me and I don't think there's any argument here he is he is without doubt the most important American soccer player of all time in terms of influence. Uh, you know, uh, on the game, uh, be one of the first Americans to have some success in Europe. Um, so that's that's it's. It, 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 I guess you can kind of like it to Derek Jeter in that respect, is that he? Yeah, well, yeah, he's an all, certainly an all-time great, but his importance to his team and the game are rivaled by very, very few people. Yeah, but but you know, I mean, for me. And and I want to be careful how I say this because you know I used to be a big baseball fan. So, but I'm not anymore. Too slow for me. But um, you know when you look at Derek Jeter and you think about what he's done for Major League Baseball as a leader, both on and off the field, I think, and and the level of the professionalism in the sport and you know the the salary structure, etc. You know, there, there's not a comparable American athlete in soccer that that comes to mind that no, that fills that not. void. Um, so, remember, baseball, baseball holds a different role in America than soccer, and probably always will. That's but, and that's part of it. I think, uh, you know, Derek, if you're going to compare Derek Jeter or anybody in professional sports uh, in recent memory, uh, I think in many ways. There's a lot of Mark Messier in him because you mentioned leadership on and off the field, and Mark Messier certainly brought that 
uh, to both the Edmonton Oilers and the New York Rangers. So I think there's a lot, there's there's a, a good parallel there too between those two. But in soccer, it, as you say, it's a little different because it's certainly the the professional game as we know it today. So the MLS only been around 20 years. It's harder it's hard to make that uh, that kind of a comparison. But I think that Donovan is probably the closest thing American soccer has uh, to it, Derek Jeter. Well, well, I you know I'd kind of go in a different direction on this, Stephen, and it's uh, it, 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 fill in my my history gap here. Jason Christ, did he play for the men's national team? I think he did because I know Bruce Arena Good. has a cap. Okay, because because here's where I'm going with this is, you know, for for the age, let's just throw the age out the door for a minute and just think about leadership in the sport, right? Not not whether or not it's on the pitch as a player, but with respect to the sport itself, if, if I had to pick out one person in Major League Soccer right now, I would say Bruce Arena. And... And and it's clear, I mean, you know, I, I talked to Landon specifically during the All-Star game. I asked him, I said, are you considering coaching when you retire, you know, within the major league structure? And and his first thoughts in response back were, to me, no. I, I'm looking at volunteering and maybe working with youth and working through that kind of setup. Because what he said struck me really, really interesting. He said... Nah, man, when I look at Bruce Arena and all the time and energy that he puts into the game, both on the pitch, in the office, and how he takes it home, he said, I, I don't have the energy for that. And and so if if I had to quantify a leader that if they retired, it would be Bruce Arena. And then the step below him, if Jason Christ was part of the men's national team as a player. Which he was, well, yeah, he okay, was 14 then, then I would say he's between 1996 and 2000. Okay, so so then I would say he's next in the queue for me, in terms of leadership, yeah. overall direct influence. I mean, when you look at Real Salt Lake, and their consistency in in winning and being at the top, and he leaves, the players basically stay the same. But Kassar, who's been his. Uh, his assistant for years has stepped right in. And and so when you got somebody that can step in and and the drop off is minimal, that comes from somebody leaving a legacy that people really, really, really buy into. So so those would be my first two thoughts on on a somebody in major league soccer that would be of the equivalent status of Derek Jeter. Well, you make a good point with uh, with Jason because uh, this is a guy, you know, certainly had, obviously had a lot more success with at, at, with the, at the club level and, and Major League Soccer, particularly they did with the national team, only one goal in, in fourteen appearances. But he was always a guy, and, and people sometimes forget your know, leadership isn't always about being the best player. But Jason, here's a guy who first of all would always leave everything he had on the field. Yes, turn the goal score. I'm not denying his talent. I'm trying not to say he's more than a talented player because he was. But you know, it's it's about attitude. It's about doing things that you know, doing what it takes to win. Uh, and more importantly, setting an example where so to a point where if you ask a player to do something, that player knows that hey, 
he wouldn't ask me this unless he was willing to do it himself. Uh, and the great leaders have that in sports, whether it be a Derek Jeter, whether it be a Mark Messier, whether it be a Steven Gerrard. You know, guys who who everybody looks at this, yeah, he'll do whatever is necessary to win, including leaving every inch of skin out there on the playing surface. So I have to, and if he is as talented a player as he is, if he's working that hard and doing all those things to try to help teams, the team win, then I don't know what better be doing the same. Jason Christ is certainly a guy who falls in that category. You know, with Landon Donovan coaching, yeah, say he wants to go to youth coaching, I remember Diego Maradona during the 1986 World Cup saying, no, he would never want to coach professionals, but he'd want to coach kids. That didn't quite work out that way, did it? Well, yeah, but there, there's a distinct difference in in the character of those two people. It's like comparing uh, apples and oranges, Keith. Yeah, yeah Diego Maradona is Sorry. a character, and Landon Donovan isn't for one. <laughs> well, I mean... Well, there, there's a whole lot of all that other stuff oh, yeah, that's, that, that doesn't go to sports with Diego right. Maradona. They're worlds, so. they're worlds apart. There's no question. Just, when you said that, I immediately flashed back to Maradona saying the same thing. <laughs> that's all. That's good. Well, the, the that first up. thing that, that comes to mind with me from Maradona is the hand of God. Well, yeah, so. for a lot of people it does. But I, just, <laughs> I just remember him. I just remember that uh, during one of the World Cup games uh, in 1986, Paul Gardner interviewed him, and he specifically asked about coaching one day, and he said, and Maradona said, no, I would not want to coach professionals because you have to tell them they're not playing, things like that. But he did say, yes, I'd want to coach kids one day. So I just, I just flashed back to that when you said about Donovan wanting to coach kids too. Yeah, he, he said he'd volunteer. I, I, you know, I don't, I'm not going to put words in, into what I heard, um, he's he's interested in volunteering and working with youth. Uh, well, good for him. I hope he does. Yeah, so, it'll be great for those uh, kids. Yeah. And, and, you know, he's, he's, in a good, he's in a good area for that, too. I mean, I, sure. I'm, I'm a volunteer youth coach in Buffalo, and, I mean, I'm, see, I'm seeing some of the similar things, too. I mean, I'm just I – don't, I don't have – well, Landon's pinky has more ability in the sport than I do, and I'm not trying to knock myself on any of this, but – it would it would be good that this generation gets in back into coaching now. I'm wondering if many are even going to bother because we're getting to a point with the these players, and maybe I'm being naive, and you, you guys should smack me around on this, that these guys are becoming way too big of way too big in the sport to go back into the community. I mean, do we think someone like Clint Dempsey or Tim Howard are going to go back and coach? They may want to take ten years off and just like we're seeing with Tim Howard right now. He he's already taking time off to just be away from the spotlight. Right. Well, I don't think if, whether or not these guys go into coaching in terms of you know, professional or college coaching. Who knows? I don't think it's a case of being too big. I think certainly a lot of these guys will look into it in, at some level whether it be youth, high school, or whatever, simply because you're, you're, these are people who remember what it was like, still remember what it was like in the 1980s and 1990s when professional soccer teams were going out and doing clinics and everything else. And these were kids, these, these guys were kids looking up to these professional players. And, and there's a direct correlation there. I don't think it's a case of being too big for the game. I think these guys all still realize that, there's still a long way to go and a lot of room for growth for the game in this country at all levels. I don't necessarily think you'll see all these guys coaching MLS one day. I think some will go into youth, 
some will go into high school, maybe even to college. Uh, you know, but I don't, I don't think if, if guys who don't do it, I don't think it has anything to do with getting too big or anything else. I think it's going to be just a case of simply wanting to pursue something else for whatever reason. You know, we talk about Hope Solo, and I've said before, putting aside what's happened recently, but if you look back over the last few years, some of the things that she's done, your statements that you. Know, statements she made, tweets she put out during the 2012 Olympic Games, things like that. She, to my mind, she for a while been setting herself for some kind of career in television in some fashion or another. Uh, and I, you know, Some of these guys, they, they might want to pursue that for the simple fact there's more opportunities, but certainly I don't think anybody's going to say, hey, I, I'm too good to get into coaching. I'm not going to bother with this anymore. Uh, certainly these guys aren't going to be like players in the four major sports where they can just rest on their money for the rest of their lives, unless they invested very, very well, and I hope they do. But I don't, you know, those that don't go into coaching, I wouldn't be too quick to say they think they're too big big for the game. I think it's just a case of wanting to do something different for whatever reason there may be. I don't think, uh, I, I, as a soccer fan, I wouldn't take it personally or a slap at the game, or a slap at the game, if a Clint Dempsey or a Tim Howard whoever didn't get into coaching. Yeah, you know, I, Steve, I'm not, I'm not too sure myself with, with respect to, the, to those guys. I mean, I've never interviewed them, never talked with them. And, you know, as, as far as I know, Clint, uh, you know, he, he's, he's a leader by example. Uh, as yep. far as I know, at least what I see on the pitch, uh, Tim Howard, you know, I'd kind of offer is probably the same, um, you know. But you know, having been a coach and not a player outside of intramural, you know, there, there's there's an awful lot of uh, burden that goes with leadership, um, and you know, sometimes the burden of leadership outweighs the passion. That that you need to have to go with it too. So, you know, and, and you know that's that's kind of different for for everybody. Um, so, you know, if it, translating the the passion and then the burden that goes with it as as you get older, you know, there, there there's there's got to be that that character there that wants to do that. Um, yeah, and that's a great yeah. and that's a great point, Chris, because as I said. You, they don't just because they don't go into MLS doesn't mean they're not so involved with the game. I get you know, in particular. You know, I'm glad you mentioned Tim Howard and Clint Dempsey because here's a couple of guys. They have you know personal things uh, from their lives that they can hopefully help use to inspire them. They have to, to some extent. You look at Tim Howard. Uh, you know, here's a guy who has Tourette syndrome, admittedly one of the milder cases of it. Uh, this isn't like, here's a name for you out of your past, uh, Steve, Steve I, uh, Jim Eidsbright, who played for the Royals. Uh, this is, a, you know, Tim, How and of course you got Clint Dempsey, who came from a very disadvantaged background, had the family tragedy of losing his sister when he was young. You know, these are guys who can you know, contribute to the game and coaching at levels other than MLS through those kind of avenues to inspire others uh, who, are in, who have been in similar circumstances. And I think you know, you know, I don't know of you know any other uh, you know prominent MLS national team players who who have uh, any kind of things of that nature, such as you know uh, illnesses or diseases that have touched their lives or their families and things like that. You know, certainly, Mia Hamm, um, you know, had you know, had set up a charitable foundation uh, because of the death of her brother, uh, 
earlier, her earlier, her life, and I'm sure. And so hopefully, guy players will think in those kind of terms in reaching younger generations, such as the youth or the high school or college level, and using those stories, kind of stories, to inspire others. It doesn't have to necessarily be at the MLS level because, as you as you said, Chris, it's not for everybody. Not everybody can deal with the kinds of pressures and burdens. Because even in MLS, you see it. Uh, you know, we certainly, you know, we certainly, there's certainly no shortage of tweets and blogs and podcasts out there about coaches under fire. Yeah, yeah, and and you know, in some cases, the the media, the mainstream media in soccer is probably not quite as engaged in fully understanding the game as much as the mainstream media in in basketball or football or baseball. I mean, you you can see that in 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 general articles that that appear on a regular basis about you know goals against or goals for and you know it's results oriented and you know soccer is not all about scoring goals. I mean that that's one of my soapboxes, pet peeves, if you will. You know that's I mean that's specifically why I I went and began this possession with purpose research that I've been doing now for two years, but. Um, you know, Stephen, somebody you didn't mention, but somebody that's not actually in a role as a as a coach or anything like that, but I still still think provides leadership in the sport is Alexi Lalas. Um, you know, you know, some people might not agree with everything that Alexi says, but you know, when he offers what he offers, he offers it with one experience. And two, he's he's going to offer information to go with it that that provides a bit more education for for the casual listener. So you know there there's other ways that that folks like Tim or 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 uh, Clint or you know they they can add leadership and value to Major League Soccer to to help it grow. So um, you know the coaching's not the the only solution, I think. And the other thing, the big to me, the biggest thing Alexi brings to the table. I'm for you know, I know he's got his detractors, there's no shortage of them. But to me, the biggest thing he brings to the table is his passion for the game. The guy, there's you can't no even the biggest Alexi hater is not going to sit there and say he doesn't care, or doesn't like the game. The man loves the game. You know, right down, right down to the, you know, right down to his guitar strings. Okay, so that to me, you know, to see, I would love to see him. Get some sort of role at the at the MLS at the league level, or even with U.S. Soccer for that matter. I because that that passion is something that that has been one of the driving forces uh, among uh, among people in soccer, whether it be the players, the coaches, or especially the fans. There's always this great passion for the game that I've always I've seen for a long time, and he brings that to the table. I would like to see it used more in a, in a more you know, official capacity to help to help with the game. I mean, he's fun on TV. I don't always agree with him, but uh, you know, it'd be silly. I think it'd be, it'd be wonderful to see him get involved uh, in, in the league offices at MLS or with U.S. Soccer. Yeah, but then then we would lose him. We would lose him for 2018, and when he when he goes over to Fox or we'd lose him on his well, podcast. But you know, once you go, once you go to MLS Suma, you you can't you're as and I'm gonna let it, there's another podcast going on right now. The first team pod is the um, Eric Cosmos pod, and you both are gonna really laugh at who the guest is tonight. That is a complete grab for um, viewer listeners. Chad, they actually 
they got Ted. <laughs> I love it. They got Ted. It. Ted. They got they 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 Ted got Westerville. Ted Ted. He is yeah, Ted Westerville. He he is a one thousand percent advocate to having uh uh full promotion and relegation throughout American professional soccer and he's got he's got the uh the, the mind of a conspiracy theorist. You know, he's got Whoa. he thinks that he thinks it's all you know, MLS and professional soccer is all this giant conspiracy to hoard all the money and to screw over the fans and everything else. It's just he he, he makes an occasional good point, but he just doesn't have a good grip of the reality of soccer in America. And I realize that puts him in bed with a lot of people at FIFA, among others. But the 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 rants and raves he goes on, it, it, his basic his basic philosophy is we should have promotion relegation in American soccer because I say so. You know, it's an NCAA kind of mentality. This is the way it should be because we say it should be this way. And it gets, and he just gets, uh, he gets on these rants and raves that turns a lot of people off with that. Well, you know, actually, I'm kind of in the same, I'm in the same stadium as as Ted. What's his last name? Westerveld. He's um, okay. Soccer Reform well, on soccer Twitter. Soccer Reform on Twitter. I hate to mention it, but I figured you, could, you want to find him. Okay. Well, well, here, here, here's why I'm I'm in the same stadium. I won't say I'm probably in the same section or row, but yeah. I mean, here, here's the deal. And this is a, a blog that I've not written, but I've had in draft for like six months, and it has to do with okay. One, I got a huge filter. I learned the game of soccer and, and all that goes with it in Europe. I didn't learn it over here. Okay, so, and, and, and th- this is the big thing for me. We live in a capitalistic society in the United States of America, but the NFL, the Major League Baseball, the NBA, the NHL, Major League Lacrosse, Major League Soccer are all franchise-based sporting systems where you pay to get in, right? Right. And once Mm -hmm. you're in, you're in unless the owner decides to default or move and sell. But the franchise is still in, okay? When you're in, in England or in Europe and you're playing soccer, there is... No, you're in. Like Leeds United, they for years they were in the the top division. Boom, gone, relegated, relegated again, relegated again. Why were they relegated? Because of poor management, a capitalistic based system in a socialistic based continent. Versus over here, it's a capitalistic based continent with a socialistic sporting system. So so that's that that's just kind of my in the stadium well, view. I'm not saying it's wrong and I'm not saying it's right, but it's just odd to me. Yeah, it, that, it is. Because for whatever reason, when we set up our professional sports view, that's the way we did it. Why it was done that way in Europe, I don't know. I'd have to do a lot of research on that. But the point I tried to make is Ted and this is I've made this point of the show for you. Sports, the nature of sports, a sports league, 
can't really run on a true capitalistic system for one very simple reason. You need those other franchises. You need that competition. Those other teams have to be there. If, if, the, if Seattle Sounders were to announce that they had a game night set, they announced they're going to play, have a game that night, but there's not going to be an opponent, are those 40,000 people marching through the streets of the city? No, they're not. You have, the other teams have to be there. And, I, and because of that, and because of that, and this is something, and this is content people like Bill Vec, Branch Rickey, and Lamar Hunt, and Pete Roosevelt figured out a long time ago. There has to be, for the entire league to succeed, because of the structure we have set up, there has to be at least some leveling of the financial playing field. Because it's not just about finances, it's about competition. Now, yes, it doesn't guarantee it. You see incompetent management of professional sports all the time. You look at the Yankees in the 1990s, all that money, and they still could win. The Dodgers, a recent member, when Frank McCourt was in charge, all that money, and they were still garbage. I'm not saying that doesn't happen. But the, 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 the thing is, with uh, you know, the, the team, the outline I would put up for Ted is, if, you know, in order to have a game, you have to have two teams, not just one. There have to be two. And because of that, those two teams are equal partners in that game because the game doesn't exist if you only have one. So all the teams are dependent on each other. Now, I know, it, as you said, it seems kind of strange that we have a socialized sporting structure in a capitalist society, but the NFL proves that in terms of making smaller markets and larger markets on at least somewhat level competitive playing field, it works. The NBA figured it out, and while their system is certainly not perfect when you look at, especially when it comes to superstar players, it certainly has, enough, has a good enough structure in place where a city like San Antonio or a city like Cleveland can compete with a New York, Los Angeles, or Miami. You Green Bay, the Green Bay in the NFL, if you were starting the NFL today, Green Bay wouldn't even be looked at. But because of the way because of the distribution of revenue, because people like P. Rizal and Lamar Hunt a long time ago saw, the, saw what was coming in terms of television and realized that it's important for the little guys to at least have somewhat equal financial footing with the big guys, and because of that, everybody gets rewarded. That's the way it was set up. And as you said, it's not, a, it's not necessarily a matter of right or wrong. It's just the way things develop. And you look at Europe now, you look at the small clubs, even small clubs in the Premier League, because of the financial disparity between, say, a uh, you know a Leicester City and an Arsenal, you, it's it's it is you know, to get into the Premier League is one thing. To work your way up is another matter altogether, and that's why as you know that's why financial fair play has been brought in, which I admit is a flawed setup and needs some and definitely needs some corrections, as Carter Krishnair has pointed out multiple times. But they're starting to realize in Europe this free form spending, and more importantly, this free this free flowing borrowing and going into debt to accommodate that spending is not helping the game. You, you, you point up Leeds United. You look at you know, they were in the semifinals of the European Cup at one point, and now look how far they've crashed and burned. Yes, management had a lot to do with it. I'll admit to, I'll admit to that, but. They, and, and that's what led to the overspending. But still, the, the finances, you know, even with your parachute payments to go down to the championship for the, pre, for the Premier League, 
it's you it's if you start going downhill because of the financial setup, it's very hard to get back up that hill. Now I know in the NFL, you know, mediocrity can can rule the roost and oftentimes does, but at least you know if you're in a, a green if you're in a Green Bay or you're in a Cleveland or you know a smaller place, you still have at least a reasonable chance to compete with the big cities without having to worry be outspent by three or four times. Yeah, well, yeah. Well, just well, just to kind of go back to to Major League Soccer here, not to detract and go off on on right. NFL and all those others. The 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 thing here, and, and I and I get it. I mean, you know, the the way to promote the game is is to build from within and build within from within with structure. And and you know, I'm, I I fully support non relegation at this stage. Um and and you know, and looking back at the North American Soccer League and the history and stuff like that back in the 80s compared to now, Major League Soccer toes the line with respect to FIFA a heck of a lot more now than they did back in the 80s. And yeah, and that, to me that that that's that's the plus, and and you know eventually point. you know, I mean I mean when NASL they used to award points for extra goals scored in games. Yes, I remember. I remember and, that. And the FIFA said the, you know if, if you keep doing that, line, among other things, yeah, sure. I remember yeah, I mean, in, in FIFA released an edict: if you keep doing that, the players that play in your league are going to qualify to play in the World Cup. Right. And and so you know eventually America has towed the line with respect to that approach, and you know there's always the battle of you know which season should you play in in the United States given the severity of temperature and all that kind of stuff. But you know I, the the thing that may you know and I, I've never listened to Ted, I've never read him, but but you know he you know he he just might be on the the FIFA bandwagon 100 percent. And and here's where I would offer a question back with respect to FIFA is, one, how in the heck does Qatar get the World Cup in 2022? And two, have you guys ever looked at how they actually rank the teams well, in, I don't, in the world ranking? So. Well, football, I don't pay attention to the FIFA rankings. That's like it's like power rankings in other sports. But, I, it's 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 complete. It's completely subjective. It, it, there's no real basis in reality on that. You know, the, well, Cutter, Cutter well, 2022. That's there is objectivity to it, Keith. Just just so Go you ahead. know, um, there there is a mathematical equation that goes with it. But well, a friendly has just as much value as as some other games, but. Yeah, that, you know, that's so, ridiculous too. But but the thing is, with but the, but the other but the other argument that I said that about America not being ready for promotion relegation yet is is twofold. Number one, not enough money coming in. Yeah, the soccer, the MLS does not have one nearly enough revenue. All all of professional soccer in this country, in general, doesn't have nearly enough revenue to make promotion relegation viable. And the reason for that is simple: one, first, you don't have TV commercials. That's a big factor. The other big factor is size. Is size. Look at the size of the country. This is not England. This is not Spain. This is not Germany. This is not France. This is not Italy. This is a huge, huge country. Travel with when it comes to travel with and the disparity in size between cities is, is great too. You know, this isn't this isn't like England where you have London has half a dozen or more clubs. 
in one city. You know, this you've got a car. You have two at most in the city. You've got, I mean, can you imagine? Say, go figure out the cost for a team, let's say, the Wilmington Hammerheads, for them to travel to Seattle for a game. Okay, that cost is ridiculous. Okay, it's, the, you know, until... Until American soccer has revenues to match the NFL, you can't, you realistically cannot have promotion or relegation. Now, I've said before in the show, if I could wave the magic wand that would make that happen and make it financially feasible to have full promotion or relegation in American soccer, I'd have waved it three years ago. You know, I'd love, I would love to see it. It would be something that would make the sports media sit up and take notice because you go and read stories about lousy baseball teams, you go read some of the comments. Occasionally you'll see somebody pop in and say something about a promotion relegation type system within Major League Baseball. And I honestly think that if MLS decides to go beyond 24 teams, I think you will be, you might see a Tier 1 and Tier 2 with promotion relegation within. However, I don't think you're going to see any difference in terms of you know, like salary caps and things of that nature because they don't, they'll want to make sure that dropping down to that second tier doesn't cause an owner a big financial hit because that's the other big thing you're fighting against is, you know... Uh, well, here's, the, here's American, the other thing that you're fighting against, too. What, okay, if you do put in promotion relegation and you lose, you drop down, what about the college draft? Do you just completely get rid of it like it should be? Because well, there, yeah. there are some of these lower teams that don't have... Good academy systems. I mean, like right. you think so, you think something like Carolina Railhawks or Richmond Kickers or something like that. They probably don't have any academy. I mean, I know Toronto FC well, up here with them being the Canadian um, Chivas USA. They have like twelve member clubs. I mean, you're out in Portland, Chris, and Portland's yeah. well known for their youth structure. I mean, the Timbers are pretty damn impressive with what. <laughs> what they have well, out there, you've got. There's a lot well, of associated clubs out well, here. I wouldn't. About... See, here's what you have to remember yeah. about college, though. By the wait, time wait, wait, wait. American soccer. Okay, go ahead, Chris. Well, yeah, I was just going to say. I mean, there's a lot of youth clubs that support and are associated with the Timbers. But I wouldn't necessarily say that the Timbers Academy is first rate yet. I mean, granted, it's only two years in, um, or two and a half, or three. Um, you know, I mean, and, and that's a tough thing. I mean, and, and here, here's where I think Stephen, you might be going with this too. Like you talked about the Railhawks or in Wilmington and all that is, you know, there's only a a certain amount of money that owners are willing or can sink into an academy. Um, and and I say that because there's another league, the Argentina League, has actually just changed, I think, last year or this year. They're not relegating a team straight away. Right? Yeah, they're they're well, relegating yeah. a team well, over a three-year period of time. Right, and, and I think Mexico does something similar because the two countries and a few others in South America, they have those rotating tournaments every year rather than an actual league season. And it is, your relegation is done on, on multi-year results rather than just one 
sort of where the aperture of the clausura and things like that. Yeah, but you know, in, in going back to to your thoughts there, Stephen. I mean, you know, something to consider, and this isn't about promotion and relegation in Major League Soccer, but I think it has to do with the the under, you know, the the pyramid itself. Because if you think MLS is at the tip of the spear or the top of the pyramid, um, you know, there there's the Pacific Coast League, there's USL, there's North American Soccer League. I think there's an American Soccer League, and then you have yes, all these colleges. Last month. Yeah, so so you know maybe maybe there's something that that works along the lines in the next two or three or five years where the leagues that support the franchise league of major league soccer because they're more regional they become promotion relegation if you will with an understanding that there's a you know a, a certain amount of operating expense that that you get as part of you know the US soccer Football Association, I guess, is the that's, best that's way. A pos- but. That's a good possibility. I, it wouldn't surprise me to see something like that on a smaller basis, as you said, within the region. But you brought up college soccer, and, I, and the point the point I want to make here with college is by the time American professional soccer is more ready for promotion relegation, college soccer as we know it today is not going to exist. You know, this is tied to the Ed O'Bannon case and the other things going on in the NCAA. When all that finally shakes out, and we're talking eight to ten years, Period, probably, if not more, maybe more. Who knows? Because all these cases are going to are going to go to the Supreme Court. Because anytime the everything the NCAA loses, they're going to appeal it. It's just the way they do things. They just they can't see another model for it the way they have it set. But what I what I personally think is going to happen is the, the on a national scale, the only true intercollegiate sports you're going to see when it's all shakes out will be football, men's basketball, and probably women's basketball. Everything else, because the funding structure is going to change totally because they're going to be told to or forced to one way or the other, the NCAA, everything else is going to pretty much be reduced to club status. Now, there might be some cases where, like hockey maybe, uh, softball possibility, baseball, can be done more on a regional basis or at least or maybe even on a conference basis if you look at something like the SEC. But even so, you know, soccer has certainly not been high on the priority list in the NCAA, certainly the rules bear that out. You know, the crazy rules they have in, in NCAA, it's certainly not a really good breed in terms of getting people to a, a professional, to the professional rank. But you're going to see a structure where, you know, Ohio State here in Columbus, the teams that are going to be on their schedule are going to be Capital University, Denison University, Otterbein University, Division three schools right now, Ohio Dominican, which is Division Two, Ohio Wesleyan, which is, I believe, Division Two, maybe Dayton, maybe Cincinnati, maybe Cleveland State or Akron. It's going to be done on a localized level because you're not going to get the money from the university like you do now. It's you're going to have to more. You're going to get a little bit of funding from the school, but basically, it's going to become a club sport. You know, some have likened it to maybe a, a, a gigantic glorified recreation league, but that's what's going to happen to college soccer. And this is where, you know, teams that don't have academies when all this comes down are going to start trying to find a way to get them going because that's going to be the pri- that is eventually going to be the primary route. You're going to see by the time this all NCAA stuff all shakes out and changes, they're going to, you're going to see very few players come out of college soccer going into the professional ranks. 
Well, I'd, I'd offer a different. I mean, I, I won't disagree with you or, or anything like that, Keith. But I'll, I'll just throw out a different take on this. You know, if if the NCAA dwindles in, in influence as as time continues to pass, you know, there, there's another potential view out there. I mean, you have an academy system that captures the lads all the way up to U18. And then you have U23s, which is during the summer when kids are out of college or whatever. And you have professional development leagues, PDLs, which pull in kids. But, you know, here, here's, an, here's another way to look at colleges. The academy is set up based upon geography yeah. for the professional soccer clubs. So why can't you throw a net over the same geographical footprint for colleges? and associate sure, colleges just, with a professional soccer team. And, and so it, that's a very good point because what you're going to see is you, these kids, kids who still go to college, they're not going to be going on a college scholarship. They're not going to be going on a soccer scholarship, but they're still going to be attending school. If they still want to play, yeah, absolutely. That is a very plausible scenario, especially well, it, for, you know, for the crew who have a huge, you know, obviously have a huge, University in Ohio State plus a lot of other smaller schools around here. You know, Seattle's got a, got a, you know, you got the University of Washington, Seattle University, you know, at New York, those schools all place. So yeah, from in terms of the MLS clubs, that's a very plausible scenario. It would be a very smart idea. No, it, it isn't for it isn't for one club. I will guarantee you one would, would vote against it. Sporting Kansas City. T- tell me where's the ma- t- tell me which of the major teams around there have a men's soccer team. Does oh, you mean KC college? Yeah, None of them do. You, you know, yeah, that, that Missouri does it. Missouri, Kansas doesn't have a men's soccer team. K-State doesn't. What about, what about State? UNKC? UNKC, UNKC they have a team? They might, but you got to remember that they're down. They're down enough. If you're if you're going to be going to sport, if you're going to be going to that, what, what you will likely end up having to do with someone like a Sporting KC. Um, God, even if you put something in, well, you've got, you've got Texas near there, is you're going to have to put the kids in college, but train them and have games in your academy. Because there's just, well, that's, Title, that's, nine is whipped, Title Nine is ripped out sometimes. Well, yeah, that, anyway, that's no I different. Just got the 90 cent. Oh, okay. I was well, just going to offer Stephen. Okay, that, that's no almost no different than what Barcelona already does now. The kids go to school, and they're part of Barcelona. Well, I want to thank Chris and um, Keith for being on today. Um, we got about 60 seconds left in the show. We'll be back in our normal time next week because I've got Keith and I. Um, I think October 7th or 8th, we're going to be off again for the week. I'm, I'm going to when October we don't 7th. have Keith. I'm gonna, October 7th. I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to have the show off for a week just till. Let things go. We do have Alan Hinton out there in the out there, and hopefully Steve Cangelosi and Phil Shane. And I'm I'm going to talk to Bruce Silverman. He's the, he's the play-by-play guy on the um, radio for the Fort Lauderdale Strikers because I want to get him on and kind of talk about the lower league. And he's real interesting dude. He he knows Cardiff Cashner quite well, and I like to deal with people like that. But anyway, I want to thank everybody for listening for the. Thursday show. The show will be podcasted up within the next 20 minutes. Go to blog talk radio backslash YCP 
and look for the the Jeter the Jeter one. I'm Stephen Brandt. That's Keith Okina. You've been listening to the Global Scars Yellow Carded Podcast. All right. Thanks for the invite, Stephen. Appreciate it, Keith.